Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. And the Son and the Father together sent the life-giving Spirit that we might know the ongoing generosity of God in our lives. You know, if you're like me, from time to time, you think upon what James wrote in James chapter 1, verse 22, where he talks about the manner of a person who looks in a mirror and then walks away forgetting what he's seen. And James' point is that we ought to be doers of the word and not hearers only. But as we start this series on ancient habits, I wonder how our lives might change if, when we looked into a mirror, instead of seeing our reflection being reflected back to us, we saw our true character being reflected back to us. How might our lives change? How might our habits change if what we saw was not a reflection of ourselves, but our character? In this series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, all of the Woodside churches are taking the opportunity for these three Sundays to look at some ancient habits that are commended to us that will foster our walk with God. Here today at Woodside in Troy, we're going to be focused on Matthew chapter 6 and three particular habits that the Lord Jesus put before us. Three habits which is he relates to us that are in his majesty's secret service. <laughs> that is, your father who sees in secret will reward you in secret. And so, if you follow the habits that Jesus is talking about in this chapter, you are in his majesty's secret service. Today, we will look at the first of those habits, that of generosity. Pastor Chris, on the 11th and the 18th, will take up the other two, prayer and fasting and comment on those. But across the campuses, we're looking at many habits that produce spiritual growth. Celebration, scripture meditation, praying scripture, scripture study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, Sabbath. When you have time, take a look at what some of the other campuses are covering besides the, the topics that will be covered here. As I said, in our series here at Troy, we will look at Jesus' teaching on three central spiritual disciplines, generosity, praying, and fasting. You know, in their teaching, the rabbis often spoke in threes in order to make it more memorable. Jesus could have added others. His big idea in this passage, do not draw men's attention to your generosity, to your giving lest you lose God's reward for giving. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, 
they have received their reward. And literally, that's the word for glory. They have received their glory in men's praise. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, may reward you. You know, the Jews, the Hebrews, have a saying for nearly everything in life, including generosity. The Talmud, an older Jewish document, instructed the Jews on eight levels of giving, organizing them into a list from the most meritorious to the least meritorious, or least meritorious to the most. The first one is people who give begrudgingly. That's the least meritorious, right? If you got, if I got to twist your arm to make you give. Second, giving less than you should, but giving it cheerfully. Third, giving after someone asks you to give. Fourth, giving before someone asks you to give. Fifth, giving when you do not know the recipient's identity, but the recipient knows who you are. Sixth, giving when you know the recipient's identity, but the recipient doesn't know who you are. Seventh, giving when neither party knows the identity of the other. And lastly, giving that enables a recipient to become self-sustaining, self-reliant. You know, the Jewish concept of charity and benevolence is different from ours. We view generosity as a spontaneous act of goodwill. But 157 times in the Old Testament, the word tzedakah appears. Tzedakah is an ethical obligation. It's an important part of the spiritual life. Of course, there is no intrinsic merit in any of these habits. None of these habits that are being preached across our campuses will get you saved. They're rather about the fruit of a life that has been saved. What characteristics does it display? When you look in the mirror, what should be looking back at you in terms of your true characteristics? Salvation is always a matter of by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. But the rabbis also used to say, it's better to give nothing than to give to someone and cause them to be ashamed. In other words, if our giving somehow becomes a public display, we risk not only destroying the gift, but also hurting the person who receives it. How does God view our generosity? What does Jesus teach us here? How would the Bible, how would Jesus himself advise us on our giving? Now before I go too much further, I want to advise you that everything Jesus says about generosity or giving here also relates to not only your money, but your time, your talent, your heart, and your attitudes. God's people are to be a generous people. You know, one of the things that characterized the early church was when the Romans in their culture put a child out in the wilderness to die because it was unwanted. Christians rescued and adopted those children. Generosity. Christians set up, and we know this from history, many of the medical institutions by which the pains of this world are alleviated. Generosity. Generosity is godlike, but it also has to be displayed not only in your stewardship of your funds, but in the stewardship of your attitude. One aspect of generosity is abundance. 
Have you ever stopped to reflect on Jesus' feeding of the 5,000? Did Jesus feed them because they were starving? No. And after he fed them, what happened at the end of it? There was an abundance in Jesus' generosity, so much so that the disciples had to collect 12 baskets full of things after Jesus demonstrated his generosity in giving. Followers of Jesus, let us be generous like Jesus was generous. Let us be generous with our time and with the stewardship of our funds. If there were only a few things we could change in our broken world, Generosity would certainly be one of them. In the COVID season, I've run into many unbelievers with a less than generous attitude. Our impatience with one another has sometimes been on display in the world. But you know what's sad is quite often I find Christians with an ungenerous attitude toward one another, acting as though it didn't matter how I treat my brother because he doesn't agree with me on this important point. That is not the spirit of generosity that Jesus commends here. Now, Jesus did not dispute the teachings of the Jews of his day that giving to the needy was better than ritual sacrifice in loving one's fellow man. Jesus knew what was in a man, and he knew that sometimes we're tempted to do the right thing for the wrong reasons. There are some who are generous for the notice of others, rather than primarily for God, in the secrecy of their relationship with him. And the Bible calls this pride. It calls it self-righteousness. It does not re recognize it as generosity. It is in Jesus' day, therefore, that his majesty's secret service was begun. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you are one of his secret agents. He has called you so that you would be generous so that you would display his character to the world. His secret agents are generous not only in their giving. The secret agent's job description also entails how we live and give generously in the Lord's service. Here we will see that those who give to receive man's acclaim are casting off God's approval. In other words, if we practice generosity to be seen by others, and to receive their acclaim, we will receive no reward from God for that piety. Apparently, virtue signaling has a long and storied history. The term first appeared in our culture about the year 2005. It was, virtue signaling is when we say, hey, look at me. I gave generously. Take notice of me. How come you haven't given as generously as I gave? That's virtual signaling, right? You're telling people, look at how wonderful I am. Contrast that with the attitude of the Bible when it talks about our generosity. Our generosity ought to put the goodness of our God on display. People ought to be able to know that the reason you're generous is because God has been generous with you in Jesus Christ. As we sang in that song, my wealth is in the cross. My treasure has been sent on ahead. It's not here. It's not in this world. I can afford to be generous because God has been generous with me. Isn't that a beautiful truth? 
Isn't that worth celebrating? It's a wonderful truth. You know, virtue signaling takes an act of moral virtue as an opportunity to pat yourself on the back. Biblical generosity always focuses on God's goodness. In the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, that phrase that Jesus uses, practicing your righteousness, was mostly understood to relate to one's giving. Rabbis still use that term, tzedakah, in their sermons and their writings to address charitable giving. If you've been to Israel, perhaps you've noticed the tzaddiks on the street in Israel. They wear the black hats and they have the tasseled curls coming down. They are the pious and they want everybody to know it. You can tell them by the way they look. Jesus' people, too, should be identified by how they look. But as the image comes back on that mirror, what is reflected back is how good God is, not how wonderful John is. That's what Jesus is teaching here. God looks inwardly to the heart motive, not outwardly to the hand, to outward appearance. He considers the giver not just the gift. Jesus tells us that man's praise is short-lived and it's a shallow reward. But God's reward is for things that are done surreptitiously, in secret. We are trading the pleasure of vain, limited gratitude for the eternal pleasure that God would display toward us when we demonstrate that we are his sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. The real problem is not doing good things with rewards in view. The Bible often speaks about the crowns that await us, right? Those are rewards. The real problem in doing good things is in looking for the reward to come from people rather from God. That's where all the problems arise. That's where all the difficulties come. Jesus says... Recognition by men should not motivate giving to the Lord. You know, back in Jesus' day, there was another expression that was demonstrated in a couple of slides we're going to put up here that are receipts, ancient receipts that come to us back from the time of Jesus. We could put those slides up there. The first one says it's written, if you had everything that was missing from this, this is a receipt. You know what it says? Paid in full. In other words, it was an indication for whatever goods were delivered, that person had received it in full. Here's another one, another set of receipts. I think there's two slides. There you go. Side by side, here's a receipt uh, for a tax on sacrificial calves and a receipt for the price of a papyrus. And you know what it says? Paid in full. And in another context, Jesus says, of these people who seek men's praise, truly I say to you, they have been paid in full. And the idea that is being stated here is if you want man's praise for the good things that you do, if you want your generosity to be recognized by other men, then just like that receipt that's up there, your reward, you've got it. It's the temporal, dying, fading praise of men. You have been paid in full. If you want, you can, if you want man's approval, you can have it, but you reject God's approval. So we are not to make our generosity a matter of public display. Even good things can be done with bad motives, right? 
There are some wrong reasons for giving that we recognize quite generally. Some people give or are generous out of guilt. A friend says to us, come on, <laughs> you have enough money to do that, you should do that. Or won't you come help me with this project with this person who could really use your help? Other people give out of a sense of superiority, as we've already illustrated. They want everyone to know how good they are. Still others give to be recognized. Most of us want to be thought of as generous, whether we are or we are not. But you know, as the Bible defines generosity, it is possible to give without being loving. You realize that? Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor and have not love, it profits me nothing. In other words, I can give, but love doesn't have to have anything to do with it. But God's example of generosity demonstrates that the presence of genuine love motivates divine generosity. For God so loved the world that he gave. Why did God give? He loves. Why should you give? Because you love. And so prove to be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. You see, only benevolent deeds done with good motives bring about God's blessing and reward. In our discipline of giving, the motive behind the gift is of prime importance in God's eyes. Some good reasons to give include giving because we have seen a need and God has stirred our hearts because we know this is how God would have us. You know, after all, he did prepare good works beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, let us generously go about out there trying to find those good deeds and doing them. You were chosen in him before the foundation of the world for good deeds in which God would demonstrate his character. Lavish sharing and generosity and open homes to our neighbors and our friends display the glory and the goodness and the worth of God in our lives. The reason God gives us money and homes is so that by the way we use them, people can see that these things are not where our treasures are, but that God himself is our treasure, that we value him above all other things, and he has given us these things to steward. To follow Jesus' commandment here requires a special kind of introspection and adjustment to receive God's approval. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon and his wife were known to raise chickens in their family household. A lot of chickens. And those chickens produced a lot of eggs. But had you approached Spurgeon or his wife and asked for eggs, they had one response. You may have them if you pay for them. So people started to think, well, why don't they just give them away? After all, he is a preacher. There should be a, he should have a generous spirit. She should give them away when people need them. But the answer was always the same. You may have them if you pay for them. Only upon their deaths was it discovered that out of the income from those eggs, Charles Spurgeon and his wife were supporting three widows whose deaths of their husbands had left them destitute. They didn't let their left hand know 
what their right hand was doing. The world never saw until the end. That is what Jesus is talking about here. And so, God's recognition and reward go to those who give quietly. That's the third point. Let's listen to the passage again. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. After all, you're in his majesty's secret service, right? And your father who sees in secret will reward you. As you read through the rest of this chapter with Pastor Chris in coming weeks, look for that phrase, your father who sees in secret. Those who desire recognition from God should give quietly and receive his reward. You know, hands don't have a mind of their own. When Jesus says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, he's using hyperbole and exaggeration. It's pretty difficult for us not to give something and notice the impact of it. But the idea is that in giving of gifts, Christians keep an extremely low profile because they are celebrating not themselves, but the God who provides for all of our needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So modesty, not showiness, is the hallmark of a follower of Jesus. And the true spirit of giving is a matter of one's heart before God. And in this matter, secrecy is of great value and importance to God. Our generosity is to be motivated by our love for God and our concern for eternity rather than the temporary praises of people. You know, it's not that you should never publish the gifts that you give. Otherwise, what's going on in Acts chapter 4 in the early church when Barnabas lay, sells a tract of land and lays it at the apostles' feet. It's not that it is never recognized, but the motive behind the gift is everything, and the heart of the giver is everything. So let me ask you a tough question. Is it God who is at work in your generosity? To, just to will and to do according to his good pleasure? Or is your generosity focused on your good pleasure, your goodwill, the things that you propose and dispose of? Is it really about what makes you look good rather than making God look good? By grasping onto what we currently have, we lose out on better goods that we might have gained in holding what we possess. We diminish its long-term value to us. In short, by failing to care for others, we do not properly care for our own souls. And so the generous soul has come to realize, you know, there are people in my life who just exhibited to me as a new believer an extreme generosity, opening their home. People that didn't even know me taking me into their homes and loving me and my wife over the years. That generosity was born of God. You know, it's no coincidence that the word miser is etymologically related to the word miserable. <laughs> the miser is miserable. He does damage to his own soul because he is not generous and he does not know it. Why do we love the story of Scrooge at Christmas time? Generosity overflows in the heart of the man who has been radically transformed by Jesus 
That was the original idea of the Christmas carol. You know, some of the most beautiful, important, and right things you will ever do will never be seen by anyone but God. And you should be okay with that. God rewards believers who give according to his principles. We give in secret. Our Father God sees in secret. And the reward for giving brings its highest potential to reality. What does such secret giving look like? Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Henry James and Edith Wharton in the early 19th century were both novelists for Scribner Press, though not equally successful. Henry James had a lot of difficulty cranking out books, whereas Edith cranked them out pretty regularly. And they were good friends. And Edith was aware of Henry's struggles and also how much his family income suffered because he wasn't cranking out books. Edith, however, was a book-cranking machine. <laughs> so she arranged in secret for $8,000 of advance money to be sent to Henry in secret as an advance on his next book. Showing, you now if you know anything about publishing, when a publisher gives you an advance, I mean, $8,000 may not seem like much today, but back then, that was a couple of years' income. <laughs> and so Henry received the money with great joy. The left hand had no idea what the right hand was doing. That's what generosity looks like in part. When we are generous, or when we fail to be generous, the principle of Galatians 6-7 is at work. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows... That he will also reap. So my question is, are you sowing generously so that you can reap generously? If you go to the Henry Ford Museum, you'll see the McCormick Harvester. What's interesting about the harvester is it could do, when it was invented, the work of what men had done by horse-drawn carriage and stuff a hundred times over in the matter of the same space. But the same principle was still at work. No farmer could harvest any more than he, he had sown. You will never harvest more than you have sown. Think about that. One of the great privileges I had in Chicago was get to know some people of no means and people of means. Let me tell you two stories to close out our time together. The first story was of a pastor friend that I met in some of my, a couple of my last years there where I discovered that in spite only making about thirty-five dollars to $40,000 a year, he had given away four cars in the last two years. He had found out the needs of single mothers, of families in crisis, and donated out of his own means secretly these cars to other people. That's God's generosity at work. Or how about the story on the other end of the spectrum, I met a financial investor who, as a CEO, she made more in one year than many of us make in our lifetimes. But rather than spend it on herself and her own pleasures, she decided to do some good for the city of Chicago. You can't turn on the news in the city of Chicago without hearing about somebody being shot or killed. And she decided that what she would create was a center for the theater arts. So she had a facility built 
And she offered scholarships to the local kids to keep them off the street. And more than that, right across from that Center for the Arts, she built a coffee shop and appointed a Christian woman who was herself just out of human trafficking and told her to hire only women of the streets so that they too could get out of human trafficking. All that wealth or very little wealth. Friends, if you can't give, and I'm talking about your time, your money, your attitudes, if you can't give for some reason, God understands. If you can give, if you can be generous, but you won't, God knows. Jesus said, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Our goal in generosity, as our goal is in everything, is to be like Jesus. When he scans our hearts, may he find generous habits and a generous people who, whose lives and whose practices reflect the generosity of the God who loved us so much that he generously sent his son and held nothing back. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you for the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we might receive the benefits of his riches. Father, may we who have received much due to the generous grace of our loving Lord prove ourselves to be a generous people. May we give in secret so that our Father who sees in secret may reward us. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to serve you with our habits. Father, make us a generous people, one that when we look in the mirror, the character that shines back at us, that we see, is the character of our God and his servant, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and gets you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.